I'm Lloyd Freeman, and this is Dimensions of Diversity. Finding a job is hard. Finding a good job is tougher. But finding an inclusive workplace that makes you feel comfortable, that's the ultimate goal. And my guest today does just that. I have Derek Bowers, the executive director of Good Temps, a temporary staffing agency of the Goodwill, joining me on the show today. Derek, thank you so much for coming on Dimensions of Diversity. Thanks for having me, Lloyd. Glad to be here. Yes, I'm excited about this because I'm learning something new. I had no idea that there was a staffing agency that was associated or affiliated with the Goodwill. So you have to give us some background info. What is Good Temps? So Good Temps is a, a subsidiary of Goodwill New York and New Jersey. Um, it's a nonprofit temporary staffing agency that ensures individuals with disabilities has access to temp employment. Um, we predominantly provide employment through city and state agencies throughout New York and New Jersey. Got it. How did you end up marrying your background? I know where you went to college. I'm hoping you'll tell all of our listeners where you went to college. How did you end up marrying your background with going into the nonprofit sector? Yeah, I went to Howard. Um, funny, I have a unique background. Uh, went to Howard to be an entertainer. I, I studied radio, TV, and film with the hopes to be in the music industry. Um, and, you know, it's funny how life takes you down different paths. Um, you know, my first job out of Howard, um, it was a recession and, you know, and it was a lot of uncertainties in terms of the job market during that time in 2008. I took my first job as a teacher associate at a public charter school in Washington, D.C., um, where, you know, I taught third through third and through fourth and fifth grade students um, and immediately had a great connection with children. Um, the funny thing is that while working as a teacher, I knew the first year that I didn't have the skill set to be a teacher. There are some teachers that just know and they 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 have that gift. And I felt that I didn't have that. Um, and that wasn't my path. But what I did see and enjoy was the connection that I had with the children that was in that school. Um, and these children came from communities that I came from who looked like me. Um, and, and what I understood immediately was that the safe space that existed in a school for children, it disintegrated once they left that school, went back into their communities, back into their homes. Many of them um, came from households who have been, that has been impacted by the criminal justice system, impacted by drugs, violence, and poverty, food insecurity, all of these barriers and things that got in the way of, that could get in the way of their success, right? Um, their livelihoods. Um, well, and then and it so made school the, the only safe space for them. Yeah, the school was the only safe space for them. And so I saw that and, you know, connected because that's how I grew up. You know, I I grew up adjacent to gang violence. I grew up in Brooklyn and and seen and, and have friends who have been in and out of the criminal justice system um, who have unfortunately passed away. And just by the grace of God, I'm here today because of my family support, because of church and all of these things and, and luck, right? And luck of not, you know, getting involved in anything that could have detrimented my life. Um, and so, you know, being able to go to Howard and having that privilege and then being in a community of children to help them navigate that same path. It was enriching, but it was also scary. And it also let me know the responsibility that we all have for our children. Um, you know, obviously not our just our biological children, but the children from our communities, they're all ours to, to shape and mold and help direct. 
Um, and so I saw my path um, in service, in human services. And so, you know, I, you know, two years after starting that teacher job, I went back to Brooklyn, went back to New York and started working at an organization called the Doe Fund, which is a nonprofit based in New York City that focuses on men, predominantly men, who have been impacted by homelessness. And what you see is there are a lot of overlap with those who are experiencing homelessness and other underserved populations, those who experience criminal justice, reentry, mm -hmm. those who are veterans, and, and, and those who have disabilities. So you're, you're walking in your passion and you are very much so doing this work that um, is rewarding for you, but it's also great for the community. And you get this amazing position uh, as the executive director. But I read something that was very uh, telling when you were appointed uh, to this new position as ED. Um, when Goodwill announced your appointment, you shared that the mission uh, of this organization was very personal to you. Can you tell our listeners a bit more about that? Yes, I mean, yeah, it's, it is personal to me. Um, and I've never worked in disability space, but I've lived in it my whole life most of my life not even realizing it. My mother has a disability um, and she has always had that uh, her disability, um, which didn't make her any different to me. Um, she's mm -hmm. extremely independent. She's one of the most creative people I know. I get my creative spark from her. Um, but, you know, when, you, when you're when you're a kid, um, you don't realize certain things. And mm -hmm. then you get older and you're like, oh, okay, that's what that is. Um, and that's, you know, you know, you know, I didn't really have a, a realization of that until I got into college of truly understanding what that was. Wow. Um, and my mom has never worked a job as long as I've been alive. Um, I'm not, actually not sure if she had a job when she was younger um, prior to me. Um, but far as I know, she has no work history. And so going, being able to lead an organization, a program that ensures people with disabilities get those opportunities. Um, for me, it's like helping my mother. It's like getting that opportunity to, to do that. And, you know, the universe comes full circle for me. And so it, it is very, very personal. I love that. I love that. But you did touch on something that I would love for us to, to, to expand on a bit. I would like to hear from you, what are some of those common challenges that individuals with disabilities face, whether it's during the, the job search or, or the interview process, you know, what are some of those barriers that exist? And what are some of the things mm -hmm. that our employers can do to break down some of those barriers? It's, it's a lot of barriers, right? And humans will human. And so we <laughs> will naturally other people without even thinking. And it shows up in so many ways, right? In, in a lot of our policies, societal norms. Oh, absolutely. Um, and so in the workplace, our privileges. in the workplace, <laughs> yes, in the workplace is no different, right? Um, and so, you know, those with disabilities are going to face bias and discrimination, mm -hmm. right? Whether it's intentional or, or not, right? Um, the, the other thing is accessibility and accommodations, right? Um, to be frank, all of our workplaces were made for people who don't have disabilities, mm -hmm. right? And so being able to understand the needs of people with disabilities and then ensuring that your structures, the technology that you have, the, the workplace in general is suitable for those with disabilities is very important. It's so hard that this policy that has to be made for it to happen. Laws have to be passed for that to be mandatory in some cases. And so we're still, you know, we're still behind when it comes to accessibility in the workplace. The or, other thing is negative. Go ahead. 
I was going to say, or we're just reactionary. You know, we wait until we have someone who is hired and then we are, oh my gosh, we need to now try to create some sort of an accommodation for you. And then that can make it uncomfortable for that particular individual employee. And, and the other thing is, is the negative stereotypes, right? Uh, the unknowns, these assumptions that we make about individuals who we may not see as ourselves, right? But when you look at the research, um, the research shows that individuals with disabilities in the workplace um, have retention rates that are higher. They are more loyal. They will show up to work on time more than more than not, right? They will succeed and, and progress. And so when you look at the research, all of the research shows that individual disabilities are amazing in the workplace, but because of negative stereotypes, bias and discrimination, um, and just assumptions, you know, uh, about individuals with disabilities and their ability, right? We always think there's a lack of ability because of the word disability, but they're yep. just as able as anyone else. Yep, I agree with you. But I would also even add to that list that it's probably just, you know, pure ignorance, you know, a lack of exposure, right? And so sure. is there an educational role that, you know, Good Temps plays in breaking down some of these misconceptions that, you know, employers may have or stereotypes around mm -hmm. hiring individuals with disabilities? Is there a way in which, you know, you go and you feed some of that information to employers to make them a bit more open to hiring people with disabilities? For sure. We, we, we share best practices. Um, we, we, we also, you know, we also, for employers and organizations, I think it's important for them to be comfortable with asking, right? You have to ask questions and ask questions to the organizations that understand this work, to the people, to those with disabilities themselves, right? Um, and so, you know, there's a lot of a wealth of knowledge out there that, you know, goodwill and good temps is open to sharing, right, with organizations, best practices. The other great thing is that with employers that we have great relationships with, they become great advocates as well. They can then tell other organizations, other employers, say like, hey, we are doing the same thing and it's been amazing. We wish yeah. we would have done this sooner. Um, and this is what we've done. And this is you know, this is what you should be looking for. This is what you should be doing and get ahead. This is what we didn't know at the time. And we learned the best practices. And so, you know, making sure that others put their best foot forward for those it, who are coming into their workplace with disabilities. And it gives your message this exponential reach, you know, so you may only be touching, you know, a, a closed universe of, of employers, but the fact that they are going out and now actually taking on the, you know, the, the mantle and going to go and, uh, proselytize, if you will, uh, to others, it is really changing the, the workforce. You mentioned something though, Derek, that some may find surprising. You mentioned asking questions and you even mentioned, you know, asking individuals who identify with a disability about what are some of the ways in which, you know, we can make our workplace more inclusive or what are some of the things that we should know. Uh, so that's something that you advise for the employers to actually go and, and speak directly to those individuals to find out. There are some who will say that, you know, it's often very exhausting, right, to be the individual mm -hmm. who identifies, whether it's with a disability or any other underrepresented group, right, being the per the person of color in the workplace and someone asking you uh, about, you know, what we can do in the workplace to make it more inclusive for you. Um, but it seems like the way to get the best answer, right? For sure. It is, it, is the, it is the way to get best answers. We should be listening to individuals with disabilities. We should be listening to the individuals that we want to serve better. Right. And so if we don't have the answers, right, they're the ones that's going to be able to tell us, mm -hmm. you know, what 
works for them, what makes sense for them. Um, and, you know, and it's, it's, you know, I think that, you know, folks and organizations and systems tend to make this hard. Um, and, and, and it doesn't have to be hard. It, it can be as simple as a conversation and truly listen, right? Because this you can send a survey out, right? And you can you can ask these questions. It's what you do with those answers yes. that really defines what's gonna happen, right? And and when you get those answers, are you gonna make the necessary changes? Are you going to accommodate? Are you gonna change policies, right? And if you're not, then asking doesn't make sense. That's when it doesn't asking can actually do more harm. It can do more damage. It can be insulting because (laughs) you truly, you know, what is what is the intention? And so, best intentions comes with great actions. Now that is profound. I like that. It must be working because you know we pulled some research that found that the employment levels for people with disabilities has reached beyond pre-COVID levels or even beyond the pre-Great Recession levels. So mm-hmm. here we are with this higher employment rate. Um, what do you think has actually contributed to this increase? Is it this uh, more attuned focus on diversity, equity, and inclusion in the workplace? Or what are your thoughts? It's a combination of things, right? There are some great policymakers out there that is ensuring that um, you know we have legal protections right, for individuals in the workplace right, and opportunities, right, and so that's part of it, workplace inclusion initiatives that many amazing organizations and like the employers that we work with have put into place ensuring that when they're putting these, these best intentions into great practice and creating amazing actions, um, but, you know, when we, when we talk specifically about COVID-19, um, the, you know, the workplace change for everyone, right, mm-hmm. and so, like, look at what we're doing right now, Right, um, this ability to connect to work from home, the remote work opportunities, um, you know, forced many companies to shift to, to these remote work arrangements, and it created way more flexible job opportunities. Yeah. And remote work can be especially beneficial for individuals with disabilities as it eliminates physical accessibility barriers and allows for more customized work environments. So the individual with disability who has his own comfort in a place, maybe a place, maybe it's home, right, is already in. And so being able to have that space to do the work that he or she knows he can do, um, you know, that's, that's, you know, that, that part is like, we can't, you know, mull, mull over that. Like, that's, that is something that really changed a lot for the workforce, the remote, the remote opportunities, right? Um, and, you know, and changing attitudes. I think that, they, you know, I think that we are changing attitudes in terms of what, how we think about inclusion, right? The, mm-hmm. the, there's been a growing recognition of unique skills and perspectives that individuals with disabilities bring to the workforce, right? And, and so, you know, and, and, and the benefits of inclusion, I really wanted to make sure that we kind of talked about some of the things that people don't know, uh, because uh, you gave some great advice and and you talked about some of the best practices, but what are some of the accommodations or policies that employers are often overlooking? Uh, And I'm going to go ahead and start because I feel like people are often thinking about uh, disability as, you know, this monolithic uh, uh, group, right? And so you're probably thinking about individuals who are in a wheelchair. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm assuming that that is probably what you were faced, it, faced with as well, that people think, oh, an individual with a disability, we're talking about their ability to walk. It's it's larger than that, right? And so it has to be more encompassing than, than just that. And I would assume that that closed-minded 
way of thinking is probably one of the first things that people have to get over. Yeah, there, you know, it's just like it's, it's the same concept when people think of those who are homeless as the, the 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 gentleman with a bag talking to himself in the subway when the face of homelessness is a is a is a single mom of children who mm-hmm. works you know, right, and has a job. And so it's the same concept when we think about those with disabilities, people automatically assume it has something to do with wheelchair or maybe uh, visual impairment or hearing impairment. But what employers often overlook and, 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 and true inclusion doesn't happen. And so they also start thinking about folks with um, neurological disorders, folks with, um, uh, mental disorders mm-hmm. and psychiatric disorders. That's all part of the the, the range of disabilities that people often overlook. Um, and there isn't a lot of education around inclusion and accommodations um, for that subset of population of those with disabilities and tends to get overlooked completely. You know, I, I can agree with that because what we found after doing one of those engagement surveys over the past year at, at our firm, was that we had a 100% increase uh, in individuals who identified with a disability. And it wasn't because, Derek, you know, I, I even partnered with, you know, an organization like yours and said, you know, hey, I, I, I want to be intentional about, you know, hiring these individuals with disabilities. It wasn't even that. I think it was really exactly what you just talked about. We made the workplace a bit more inclusive. We fostered more of that psychological safety. Uh, we gave more of a, a broad definition and reading, if you will of uh, what it means to be inclusive. And it really gave people the courage, or, or I should say even um, uh, the comfort to identify. We, had, we already had people who had disabilities who were in the workplace. They just didn't necessarily um, uh, disclose that. And so once you build it, uh, then, then individuals will feel more comfortable with actually disclosing it. There's stigma around disclosure too, mm-hmm. right? Some yes, candidates may hesitate to disclose their disabilities during the application process due to fear of potential discrimination or absolutely, which can make it challenging for employers to provide those necessary accommodations. Yeah, I agree with you all the way down to the, the job posting. I mean, the job description. I mean, there there's language that oftentimes is used in there that uh, very much so is slanted or biased in favor of someone, uh, again, who uh, has certain abilities uh, and they're not necessarily germane to the actual job. Again, it's just kind of language that's a bit archaic and we've been using it for so long and we just continue to copy and paste it and use it in future job postings without actually thinking about uh, an entire category of individuals who may self-select themselves out. I know you've only been in your role for for a short while, but is there a um, a huge success story or or one that that tugs at your heartstrings that you can really recall for us? Well, I won't recall a success story because I've only been in this role two months. But what I can say is that Good Temps has done an amazing job with giving individuals with disabilities the opportunity to work and then move beyond that, right? And so when you think about from 2018, you know, we've placed hundreds of individuals into jobs in New York City agencies. Over 200 people have been placed in permanent positions in New York City agencies since 2018. And that just goes to show the powerful work that all of the staff at Good Temps and Goodwill as a whole does for the disability community and those who want to succeed and find an amazing career track for themselves. 
And, and you know, right now, you know, we just learned a few days ago, uh, uh, Mayor Adams um, announced a huge investment in ensuring that those with disabilities have career tracks, specifically in the municipal space. And so, mm, okay, but we but we've been doing that. It's already been happening with good temps and goodwill, and we're just really excited to continue to do that work, right? The work that we know we can do, and we have the infrastructure to do that's already in place. So, what's your goal? Where do you want to see good temps? I have a lot of goals, but I think that I really want to ensure that we elevate the way that we serve individuals with disabilities, right? Because we can talk about all the barriers that exist outside, right? But even within disability organizations, we're still, we're, there are always room to improve and learn and grow to accommodate and making sure that we're providing the best service that we can. And so for me, I want optimal service for individuals with disabilities. The other thing is is going into the private sector. I mean, we you know we have experience in the private sector. A huge amount of the work that we provide and the, the contracts we have are through government, right? And it's through government opportunities that we're able to to do a lot of our work. Um, and so to be able to to move into a space to into the private sector that's denop, that's dominated primarily by private staffing agencies mm -hmm. um, can be challenging. And, but I think we're up for the challenge. Uh, I, I think that our mission um, is, is unique and centered in a way that benefits everyone. And so when we talk about workplace inclusion and organizations looking to invest in that, why not use an organization like Good Temps to help them through that process? I agree, because as you, as you very aptly stated, there's always room for all of us to continue to improve and to continue to grow. And I can tell that this organization is in good hands with you at the helm. Derek, thank you so much for joining us on the show. I appreciate all of your insights. Thank you so much, Lloyd. H you. <laughs> you know. <laughs> and now it's time for DEI Today, where we discuss current headlines and their corresponding impacts on DNI initiatives across the nation. Again, I'm Lloyd Freeman, and I'm joined by my colleague and friend, Shauna Williams. Hey, Shauna. Hey, Lloyd. How are you going? I'm doing well. We have a lot to talk about. Uh, and uh, there's one topic that has been circulating in our um, uh, sphere for quite some time, and it's around DNI officers who are getting the boot uh, from their corporations. Uh, we all know that there was a sharp uptick in the hiring of DNI professionals in the wake of uh, George Floyd's murder uh, in the year 2020. Many corporations, you know, they made these pronouncements. Uh, that they were going to, you know, double down on their diversity efforts, that they were going to hire someone to lead uh, DNI for their organization. And you saw it. Uh, you saw many people who were joining organizations uh, in the C-suite uh, and other roles. And myself included, right? I came into my role at Buchanan in the year 2020. Um, from September 2019, actually, to September 2020, job postings for diversity and inclusion professionals on the hiring website, Indeed, they rose by 56.3%, according to Indeed. Um, and a LinkedIn study found that chief diversity and inclusion officer positions grew by 168.9% during the exact same time period. So you just had this rapid hiring of individuals who were coming to organizations. And now you're starting to see headlines that are a little bit different, right? You're seeing headlines saying 
ABC Corporation, you know, just uh, let someone go. XYZ Corporation just let someone go. Uh, and these people have only been in these roles, you know, two, three years. Shauna, what's your immediate reaction? Because of course there are tons of talk, um, I think pieces out there that are saying, oh my gosh, this means the end of DEI. Does it mean the end of DEI to you? No, this just seems like the result of a lot of reactive and performative gestures mm -hmm. 2020. Um, just frantically trying to not be the subject of a negative PR stunt. Corporations are putting out these statements, not necessarily being thoughtful about it, not really being genuine about actually advancing DEI truly in their organizations. A lot of DNI officers and talent in general, they're hired without much support, resources, a budget. So you're really just hiring well-meaning DNI professionals there to do their job um, without fully setting them up for success in their role. And so after a year, two years, three years, of course they'll leave. That doesn't surprise me. Um, but it doesn't necessarily mean that true DNI is over. Um, it just means that it's time to be more proactive and intentional about your practices within your organization. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, I'm going to take it a little bit away from the corporations, though. Uh, I don't know that they're 100% to blame. Um, mm -hmm. I also think that there were some individuals who were placed in these roles uh, simply because of how they identify and not necessarily mm -hmm. because they were the best person for the role, right? And so Sure, to be more specific, too. I feel like there were people of color uh, who were just all of a sudden named by their their employer as you know the DNI director or the the chairperson of their DNI committee or their chief diversity and inclusion uh -huh. officer. And to your point, for resources and and all of that aside, I don't know that they necessarily actually had any kind of education around you know how do you actually right. put together a DNI strategy, um, how do you implement and execute, you know, on, on those DNI initiatives? Uh, how do you take it from kind of discrete committee work and then uh, kind of really weave it throughout the fabric of the organization, as everyone has kind of said over the last two or three years? So I, I think a little bit of it may be a market correction uh, where you are then saying, you know what, we made a quick decision to your point, and maybe we didn't put the person here in this role who was going to be able to take us where we thought we were going to be able to go. Uh, so I'm hoping that with a market correction, you know, comes some more intentional hiring of individuals who have gotten, whether it's certifications or just, you know, years more of experience uh, to be able to bring it to these larger platforms like these Fortune 500 companies uh, and can really be able to go there and really move the needle and advance DNI. But also picking up the certifications that are knowledgeable and not just the ones that, again, back to like the reactive, there were there was a boom in the amount of certifications coming out of there uh, that were not up to date or did not go deep enough into like tangible um, outcomes. So I agree with you on that. And also making sure that they were from reputable uh, organizations. I know that I was, part. I was able to get a couple of certifications, <laughs> but mine are from Cornell, Harvard, and Yale. Mm -hmm. uh, so I made sure that I, I got my DNI certifications from institutions that I trusted. Uh, I looked up, of course, the the professors and the instructors to make sure that they were, you know, people who knew what they were talking about to begin with. Um, and I also saw some of the other individuals who were enrolling in those courses, and they were, you know, my peers who I trusted uh, uh, in this space as well. So, yeah, that would be 
certainly my advice to anyone who wants to kind of pick up one of these roles that is now becoming vacant, uh, because my hope is that these roles will not be forever vacant, that they're now looking for, you know, who is going to be a more long-term place uh, placement for their DNI leader. But you should go and you should get some DNI education. You should have some certifications. You should make sure that you understand what the role entails and how to do it at the highest levels. What do you think about Verna Myers leaving Netflix after five years? And she is very knowledgeable on DEI efforts and bias training. I mean, she's one of the most one of the most cited, I feel, um, leaders in DNI. She is. I do not think that everyone who has exited a DNI role was, you know, quote, shown the door. <laughs> I think that there are other people, of course, you know, who are very sought after speakers, uh, you know, has a consulting business like she does, uh, and who are thinking that, you know what, I don't necessarily want to work with one client, I want to work with several. That's what I've seen, you know, throughout her mm. career, just using her kind of as a for instance, but I don't think that, you know, we can assume that this is kind of a you know, one explanation fits every single, um, you know, exit here. I think that there are some people who on their own said, you know what, this is not the organization for me because they're not right. real about their commitment. Like you said, the performative um, uh, uh, corporations there. Um, and then there are others who were kind of shown the door by the company uh, because they said, you know what, you're not the right person for where we want to go. And then I think there are others who said, you know what, I, I've, I've done a lot for this organization, maybe all that I can do and I want to go to a different platform. Maybe it's to go to a larger uh, platform, or maybe it's to start their own consulting business. Because there are many consultants who are still, um, of course, going in and and doing kind of some discrete workshops or, or or education, whether it be with organization leaders or or to um, uh, ERGs and affinity groups, etc. So there's lots of work out there. Still lots of work to be done. Uh, I just think that people are now evaluating their options. And when I say people. I mean, everybody, the employers and the employees. Dimensions of Diversity is brought to you by Buchanan, Ingersoll and Rooney. Please rate and review our podcast. We would love to hear from you. And don't forget to subscribe to hear all of our new content as we continue to explore ways in which we can all advance diversity and inclusion. I'm your host, Lloyd Freeman, and thank you for listening.